The Valley of Tears. Have you ever been there before? The Valley of Tears. We, we, I'm sure we all have. Psalm 84, if you're following along in the, in the Word, and I hope you are, if you'll pull your, your Bibles out and whatever you've got, whatever device you have. Uh, we're going to talk about the Valley of Tears. Psalm 84, maybe one of my favorite psalms, definitely one of my favorite psalms. Could be my favorite. Probably, I don't know, there's a, there's a few of them that are right up there at the top, but I, I just love this I just love this psalm, and I want, you to, I want you to know that when you're in the valley of tears, your eyes should be cast on the Lord. Let me say that again. When you're in the valley of tears, and it seems like all you can do is cry because everything has gone wrong in your life, Psalm 84 is a clue as to what we need to do. So, if you've got it, if you will stand for the reading of God's Word. I know it's behind us on this beautiful screen here, but if you've got it in your Bibles... Um, I want you to pull that out and get ready. Amen. If you're at home watching or from wherever you're watching, we welcome our online campus. Thanks for being with us. Psalm 84, verse 1 through 12. Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay, hang on to your bootstraps. Here we go. How lovely is your dwelling place. Man, I, I just, just look at the words that is used there. If I tell my wife, hey, I'm fond of you, well, okay. If I tell her I really like you, okay. But if I tell her, man, you are lovely. Do you, do, you, do you hear the difference in the language there? Here's what David said. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. Almighty, that means he can do all things. Poke your neighbor and say, God can do all things. I'm going to preach here today. Yes, I am. I feel it. My soul, listen to this, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. Can it be said about you that you faint and you yearn for the court of the Lord? For those of you watching that you, you faint and, and yearn so desperately for the courts of the Lord, for the presence of God, to be in the house of God that you're willing to come out at 3 o'clock on a Sunday near the Indiana border to have church. He said, my heart and my flesh cry out, for the living God. I want you to catch this language. And I'll let you be seated here in a minute. I'm just I'm moved by this. He is passionately hungry for the Lord. He says, even the sparrow has found a home and a swallow a nest for herself. Where she may have her young. A place near your altar, Lord Almighty. My King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Woo! Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca. Everybody say the valley of Baca. Baca literally means tears or weeping. The valley of tears or weeping. So notice here he says, blessed are those who pass as they pass through. Everybody say pass through. They make it a place of springs. God says he wants to take your place of weeping and crying and make it into a spring of life. Glory to God, I'm going to preach here today. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Man, he's reminding the, the writer, man, or everyone reading that he is Almighty God. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Woo! Can I get a witness? I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. 
The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who, whose walk is blameless. That means integrity. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. I, I declare I could just stop right now. and We could go home after just reading that passage and be uplifted and encouraged. Notice how many times God, uh, David is pointing the reader's eyes to the Lord God Almighty. Our trust is in you. Our strength is in you. Everything is in you, Lord God Almighty. Hallelujah. Thank you so much, Father God, for your word, for your presence, that you do turn gardens, graves into gardens, and, and bones into armies, oh God. I thank you, Lord, that you're for us and not against us, and no good thing will you withhold from them that walk uprightly. God, I pray for the next few moments you would anoint me to speak forth your word, not in word and tongue only, but also in power and in deed. Lord, I'm asking you to anoint our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. In the name of Jesus, God, let this seed be planted in the good soil of our hearts and grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Hold your Bibles up in whatever form you have, and let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears. Anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen. High five two or three people as they're being seated if they have a green bracelet. <laughs> a man decided he wanted to be a monk, so he went to a far desolate monastery. They said, well, when you sign up here, you sign up for 30 years. After 10 years, you get to come in and speak two words. He said, okay, I'm in. After 10 years, he brought him in. He said, well, he said, you've been here 10 years. You've been pretty good. He said, we give you a chance to say two words. What would you have to say? He said, food bad. He said, okay. Went on about his business. 10 years later, he come back, pulled him back in the office. He said, what two words would you have for me now? He said, bad hard. Ten years later, he come in. He said, well, you're at the end of 30 years. You can stay the rest of your life or you can leave. Choice is yours. He said, what are you going to do? That man said, I'm leaving. The guy who is managing the monastery, he said, well, that doesn't surprise me. All you've done since you've been here is complain. <laughs> Sigmund Freud died at the age of 83. And if you've been to a secular university like I have, they're going to tell you and they're going to have Sigmund Freud all through their psychology classes, a basic psychology class is going, to, is going to reference Sigmund Freud. He's one of the greatest thinkers of his day. But they're going to reference him, and they're going to tell you that he was right, and they're going to tell you all about psychology through the eyes of Sigmund Freud as if he is the, he is the, the, the master of the subject. I can remember when I was in secular university that, that they uh, pushed Sigmund Freud on us. They told us that we came from monkeys and all the other stuff. But Sigmund Freud was what they kept coming back to. Much like Christians go back to the Bible, psychology seems to go back to Sigmund Freud. He died at the age of 83, a bitter and disillusioned man. Now, he was a great thinker of his time, but he had little compassion for the common person. So, so the guy today that they reference as the, the great psychologist that you learn from was actually a very bitter man. And here's, here's what he wrote in 1918. 
I have found little that is good about human beings on the whole. Talk about somebody with a bad frame of mind. He said, in my experience, most of them are trash people. No matter whether they publicly subscribe to this or that ethical doctrine or none at all. Freud died friendless. And it is well known that he threw away all of his followers. He wanted nothing to do with them. He died friendless. And in the end of his life was total and complete bitterness. This is the guy that they put in secular universities to teach kids about psychology. I don't know about you. Something seems wrong with that picture. Why do two people go through the same valley of tears, the same valley of weeping? One comes out better and the other one comes out worse. One comes out bitter and the other one comes out better. Poke your neighbor real good and say bitter or better. There's only two ways you're coming out of deep, dark valleys, and that's bitter or better. So what makes the difference? I am convinced. I've been walking this earth 45 years now. I've been in full-time ministry 23 years. Here's what I'm convinced about. There is the differences in temperament and natural disposition. Do not explain why some come out bitter and some better. Historical uh, facts do not explain the difference. One is always younger or older, richer or poor. Nothing like that can explain the difference. You can't boil it down to, well, this one had money, that one didn't. This was older, this was younger. This one had a terrible past, this one had a great past. I don't care what you throw into the mix. None of that answers the question why some people who go through a deep, dark valley in their life come out bitter or come out better. So the answer or answers have got to lie elsewhere. Some people find a way, listen to me closely, to release their pain to God in the midst of their terrible valley and their terrible pain, and it actually draws them closer to God. When you and I go through deep valleys, folks, we have one of two responses. We're either going to draw closer to God, or we're going to get more distant from not only God, but other people, push people away, push God away, shake our fist and say, it's your fault. Perhaps you've been there. In moments of our worst valleys, we've got to draw closer to God and allow Him to do surgery on us and heal our broken hearts. The answer into how close we get to God or not is the answer into whether we get better or we get bitter. I don't want to be bitter. Have you ever met someone who's bitter? Have you ever been around somebody? Listen, bitter people are the type of people you can give them $10 at the door and they're ticked off because you gave them 10 ones instead of two fives. You ever met somebody like that? Complain, complain, complain. Well, if you was a man of God, I'd have had a $10 bill, not 10 ones. Listen, nobody wants to be around bitter people. But we sure do like it when we get better. Have you ever been around somebody that goes through deep, dark trials, but they hold the hand of God, and they weep, and they cry, and they hurt, and it's painful, but they come out on the other side, and there's a sweet fragrance of anointing. There's a sweet spirit about them. My blessed Lord, that's how I want to come out of every valley, with sweet-smelling savor of the Lord Jesus Christ, with the Spirit of God beaming from me, with the Word of God glowing from my life. Somebody say hallelujah. In Psalm 84, David is writing, and I want to give you a little history here. David was a complicated man with a complicated life. Listen, if you want to read the chapters of the Bible, there are 59 chapters of the Bible devoted to David. You talk about roller coaster. You talk about a man who knew the highs of highs and a man who knew the lows of lows. 
David had peaks so high that when he danced in the streets before God, the whole nation danced with him. He had lows, so lows that when he wept uncontrollably, the nation wept uncontrollably too. He went through war, exile, rejection, plague, and aching loneliness. He was betrayed by friends. He was falsely accused, hunted like a dog, thought to be a traitor, and even one pagan king saw him as a madman lunatic. His wife married another man while he was away at war. How would you like that, gentlemen? His son stole his kingdom and raped his harem in public. Talk about disgraceful and disgusting. His brothers thought he was a liar and despised him. I'm talking about a guy who was all over the map. One of his sons died in infancy, one was a murderer, and one was an incestuous rapist. He raped his 15-year-old sister. If anyone would understand anything you may be going through, folks, it is David. He would have understood your grief. He would have understood your fears, your losses, your betrayals, your depressions, because he endured anything just about it a man could. He knew what it was to have a whole nation come and say, David, you're the one that led us to war originally. Even when Saul was king, we want you to be our king. And they went crazy over David, David, David. He also went to the lows of lows hiding in the cave of Adullam. And and he didn't know have anybody to turn to or anywhere to go. He knew what it was like to be hunted like a dog, to be killed. Listen, David was everywhere. And the complicating factor in all this is, It all got mixed up in the deserved and undeserved. Oh, I'm going to preach here in a minute. It is virtually impossible to tell what caused what because some things that happened to David, he did it. He earned what was coming. Other things that happened to David, it was undeserved. He didn't do anything wrong and it still happened to him. I want to tell you, just because you're in a deep, dark valley doesn't mean you're a great sinful person or it's because you lack faith. Sometimes things, bad things, just happen to good people. Many valleys David endured because of his sin. Some of it because others sin and some because it's just human nature and life and stuff happens. What causes those tears of agony is less important than questions like these. How long will this last? Come on, be truthful. How many of you have been in a valley? You thought, how much longer? Will I live through this? Will I ever be happy again? You ever been there? Baca means tears or weeping. Everybody say crying. Now, I don't know which particular valley of Baca that David is talking about when he writes Psalm 84, but I'm glad that the writer didn't tell us. Was he remembering the bitter tears he wept for Bathsheba's dead son that laid at his feet? Was he he haunted with the death of his son, Absalom, so many years later? Was he perhaps thinking of the terrible nights in hiding in the cave of Adullam by himself in loneliness, knowing that his wife was in the city in the arms of another man? And it was driving him crazy. I'm talking about he went through some stuff. It's probably good we don't know exactly which valley he's talking about here because that way the the psalm fits us. What valley are you going through? I'm talking about real stuff where the parent finds out that their child is homosexual. Where the wife finds out that the husband's been having adultery on her. Where the husband gets the news that his wife has terminal cancer and months to live. I'm talking about the grandfather that finds out the grandson has a brain tumor and it doesn't look good. 
I'm talking about the friend who comes in at home and finds their other friend dead in the floor of a drug overdose. I'm talking about real valleys. I'm talking about people that get a pink slip at work and they have five kids at home to feed and they don't know what's going to happen. I'm talking about real deal stuff here. Somebody say, oh, wow. There are two things to observe here. There are valleys so horrible that in them a person will wail in the night. They won't know what to do. They're hurting so bad they just cry out. David's been there. I've been there. Second, there is comfort from God for some, but they may find it so painful they can't even really accept it. And in Psalm 84, there's three like parts here. You can break it down into kind of three parts that can begin the healing process. How somebody say healing? Psalm 84, in, in verses 1 through 3, is the true longing of the human heart. Here, check this out. Just about any desire can be stolen from some of us in any dark valley. Just about any desire can be stolen from us in a dark valley. You don't think so? Let somebody go through a terrible dark valley who would normally never miss a meal to save their life. But now they're so heartbroken, they don't even want to eat anymore. They don't want to sleep. They don't want to get out of bed. They don't want to go to work. They don't want to do nothing. They're so depressed. Have you ever known anybody? Or maybe that person is you. Just kind of don't look at them. Be careful, guys. (laughs) Life, liberty, love possessions can all be taken away from us much quicker than we would admit. If you don't think that's the case, folks, I I just want to tell you something. I'm probably going to preach on this when I get back. They have people standing at Walmarts and Targets now like bouncers, and if you don't have a mask on, you're not going in their store to shop. How easy will it be for this world to say, you don't have 666 on your forehead or your hand, you ain't shopping here. Don't tell me the world can't do it because they're already doing it. And don't tell me that it won't come across. Oh, I know I'm going to spook everybody out here. Don't tell me. How easy will it be for the Antichrist to say in the name of keeping everyone safe. Hey, you better take this stamp on your forehead or your, or your, fore, or your wrist. And you other Because, man, we got it. Listen, it's all about keeping everybody well. And if you really love people, you're going to do this. And all the while, take that stamp and you have sealed your fate in the pits of hell. I want to tell you something, folks. I'm not saying a mask is the pit of hell. I'm not equating that. I'm just telling you, if you can't see how the Antichrist is going to rule this world by now, you're not opening your eyes. Open your eyes and see, folks, how quickly and how easy he is going to manipulate the world into doing what he wants. You say, Pastor, you're off your rocker. No, I'm just trying to look at the Bible. Is it all right? Do we still preach Revelation? Do we still believe the Bible and the whole book of the Bible? Do we still believe you can't go sleep with anybody you want to sleep with? Do we still believe don't go out and get drunk? Don't go out and smoke dope? Do we still believe that don't sin against the holy God? Do we still believe there's a rapture coming? Do we still believe that the Lord's going to get us out? Do we still believe there's a real devil? There's a real hell? Oh man, I'm preaching to somebody. Do we still believe what the Bible says? It's not a book of fairy tales. It's not a philosophy. It is the written, spoken Word of God. Do we still believe we need to be right with God? 
Do we still believe there's coming a day when this world's really going to turn bad? You say, Pastor, it's bad now. Read the book of Revelation. It ain't bad yet. Revelation's still New Testament, amen? I know it's kind of like, whoa, it's spooky, you know? It's a ghost story. Give me some popcorn and a cover. Oh, I was scared. Listen, it's real. If most of my passionate longings on, are fixed on anything like, like liberty, like possessions, like the things of this world, then you better know we are primed and headed for the valley of tears because possessions can't satisfy you. The world can't satisfy you. Life and liberty doesn't even satisfy you. Listen, there is only one thing, and it's in a man named Jesus Christ that can satisfy the longing of your soul. And David wrote about it, and he said, How my soul longs for the courts of the living God. Jesus is the only one that satisfies. Jesus is the only one that gives real joy. Listen, a new house and a great new job and possessions and all that stuff can go by here today and gone tomorrow. But Jesus is forever. Boy, we've gotten off track in the church. I'm not saying our church, I'm talking about the church in general. And I think we've gotten sidetracked. Man, I, I just feel a yearning to come back to the feet of Jesus with a heart of repentance that says, God, I surrender all to you. Where are the people that were so, so hungry for God? So wrapped up in the presence of God. So starved for Him that they were able to turn the TV off and not worry about anything else. And just say, God, I need to meet with you. Is anybody hungry? Is anybody hungry for the Lord? In Psalm 84, David's heart is fastened where ours must be. Look what the psalm said. Verses 2 and 3. My soul yearns. It even faints for the courts of the Lord. I'm not fainting and yearning for the next item or the next thing or the next anything. I'm yearning for the Lord. I'm not yearning for my mate. I'm not yearning for that child I want so bad. I'm yearning for God. I'm preaching my heart out here. David said, my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. He's not dead. They can take you to Muhammad's grave and his bones are there. They can take you to Buddha's grave and his, and his bones are there. But I can take you to Israel to an empty tomb and Jesus' bones are not there. Hallelujah. I... I, I I got my, I got my Bible. I, I go through different Bibles every year, and I got, and there's some of them are study Bibles, Perry Stone or whatever. Man, I got them stacked up. I'm ready to go on the trip. I was telling the Lord on the way here. I said, God, I'm so excited to have four weeks that I don't have to worry about a sermon or what's going on in the church. I can't wait to just open the Bible and let God speak to me. I, I can't wait to just. Put some praise and worship on and just get lost in his presence. 
I can't wait to get in some of those Bibles. God, just speak. I can't wait to, to get all the distractions of COVID and everything that's going on with our church. Just, just away for a few weeks and just, God, I want to be with you. I want you to sit right in this seat beside me and let's just go down the road together. Is anybody hungry for God? Am I preaching a different language here today? Listen, David said, even the sparrow has found a home and a swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. David, listen to this. He is so hungry for God, he's jealous of birds. He is jealous that the birds get to be close to God's altar. He said, God, even the sparrows get near your altar. Where? I got to get to you. Are you so hungry today for God that you get on your knees and you say, God, I'm tired of the birds getting closer than I am. I get out and give me room. I've got to get to your altar, Lord. Am I preaching to anybody? David knew about longing and fainting and crying out uh, for God long before he was ever in the valley. He knew how to cry out to God before he was in a place where he had to cry out to God. In verses 4 and 5, the true happiness of the human heart. Look what he says in verse 4. Blessed are those who dwell in your house for they are ever praising you. If my ultimate happiness, listen, rests in money or a job or a career or a degree. I have a master's degree. I'm not against school. One day I'm probably going to get my PhD. So I'm not bashing school. I'm all there. But if my ultimate happiness is in that or a job or even a relationship, then the valley of tears is where you're headed because it's going to let you down every time. David says that true happiness, listen to me, Oh, please hear this crazy, bald, 45-year-old pastor today. He is saying true happiness is found only in dwelling in God. In the courts of the living God. He's alive. Woo! Praising God. Finding strength in God. David is saying the key is God. He is the true hope of humanity. Look at verses 10 and 12. He says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. All trials, all blessings in this present life cannot even begin to compare To one moment in heaven. To keep our minds on eternity will calm us when you go through a COVID-19 pandemic. It'll calm us when the stock market crashes. It'll calm you when you get the pink slip from work. It'll calm you when the boyfriend or girlfriend dumps you. It'll calm you when the spouse files for divorce. Or the bill collector says, I'm coming to get the car. I want to tell you, when your eyes are on him, it will calm you down when all hell is breaking loose down here. When all the world's treasures... When all the world's pains, whatever, hurts are over. One moment in the most humble place in heaven will far outweigh a lifetime of palaces in this world. 
Now, there are two keys to victory in the Valley of Tears, and I, I won't be long. The first key to victory in the Valley of Tears, are you ready? Pass through, but don't camp. Everybody say, pass through, but don't camp. There are two equal and opposite errors in respect to the Valley of Tears. On the one hand, here we go. You ready? I'm going to go there. Poke your neighbor and say he's going to go there. On the one hand, there are those irritating so-called faith teachers who claim that any true saint that has found themselves in the Valley of Tears is somehow operating without any faith and is somehow away from God. That is so superficial. Job had friends like that. Here's what Bildad said, Job 8.6. If you are pure and upright even now, he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you to your prosperous state. In other words, Bildad and many people like him today will tell you that if you're blessed, somehow you're righteous. But if you're in a valley, there's some sin in your life somewhere or you're just not acting in faith. So let's, 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 let's look at this. Look where the blessings are obvious. And there you will find righteousness, depending on which channel of Christian TV you turn on to. The reverse is that pain or the proof is the proof of sin or lack of faith and negative confession. In other words, Bildad, uh, uh, Zolophad, and, and Eliphaz, they, their people like them today will tell you that if you're in a valley, they'll say you have a faith problem or a sin problem. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to debunk the mess out of that today. Is that all right? My question is twofold. What about the grace of God? What about the grace of God? Number two, don't bad things happen to good people sometimes? One pastor and his wife lost their son in a car crash, and it was an excruciating, painful experience. While they are in the line greeting people at the viewing, they literally had people tell them, if you had more faith, your son would still be here. They had others come by and say, well, evidently there's some hidden sin in your life or your son's has been exposed. Now, I don't know about you, but I might be tempted to get the old Dallas nature out and say, we're fixing to find out about sin right here, right now. Can I get a witness? Job, here's how Job responds. Can we get real? Don't even look at me like, oh, thank you, brother. No, you'd be like, well, you better get out of my face, man. I'm going to knock you out. Can I preach to somebody? Is it, this is a real church, folks. Here's what Job had to say about Bildad and people like him. Are you ready? I have heard many things like these. You are miserable comforters like all of you are. All of you. He's going through hell. He ain't done nothing wrong and they're blaming him. He's like, you're supposed to be comforting me. We were cracked up yesterday. Haley pulled out letters from boot camp and I wrote her a letter. And in the letter, I'm just, I'm griping and whining. I'm so depressed. I don't know why I'm telling you this. And we were laughing hysterically. I'm like, that poor girl's in boot camp and I'm sending her my bad stuff. Poor thing. I'm supposed to be encouraging her. I guess I thought, well, if I tell her how bad I feel right now, she'll feel better at boot camp. I don't know. Let's examine this with Paul. Can we do this? Because listen, there's a lot of crazy stuff out there and there's balance in the body of Christ. Can, can we say that? Let me flesh this out before you throw something at me. Are you ready? Here's what happened with Paul. 2 Timothy 4.20. You can see it on the overhead. He said, Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus, everybody say Trophimus, I have left in Miletus sick. Interesting. Paul said, 
I got a guy I need to take with me in ministry, but he's sick and I had to leave him there. Okay? Now, couple that with what Acts 19.11 says. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So was Paul laying hands on people and they're getting healed? Absolutely. So much so that they took handkerchiefs and they wiped the sweat off of him and put it on people and the handkerchief healed them. This is a man of God that laid hands on people, dead people even, and raised them from the dead. Yet his friend is sick and he has to leave him in a city. Okay? So we're going to talk about balance here. Much earlier, Paul was at Philippi and he testified to the illness that almost took the life of another friend named Epaphroditus, but he prayed and God healed him. Paul experienced what you and I experience today, and that is the unexplainable sovereignty of God. Hear me now. Can you imagine how frustrated Paul must have been when he laid hands on his friend Trophimus and Trophimus wouldn't get healed? Can you imagine he had seen other miraculous things happen? He had raised a boy from the dead. He had healed so many people and done so many things. I imagine Paul said, God, why won't Trophimus just get healed? He was frustrated. I had to leave him sick. Why, God, do you leave my friend sick when I need him on the ministry, but these guys over here, a handkerchief touches them and they get healed? Here it is. You ready? You and I don't control God. God's still God. Surely Paul prayed over him with all his might. And we know Paul wasn't short on faith. But if Paul lived today, these so-called faith teachers would tell Paul, well, if you had a little more faith, you'd heal Trophimus. Trophimus don't have no faith. That's the problem. Listen, they might have both had strong faith, and it still didn't happen for some reason. And it's unexplainable. Is this okay today? Don't you imagine that he too was at a loss to explain the difference? Well, wait a minute now. If it's all about you got to be right and always, as long as you're living right and as long as you have faith to move mountains, you're never going to go through a valley. Well, let's examine even the disciples of Christ and see how this turned out. Are you ready? How many want to find out? Anybody? You still with me? It's quiet in here today. I don't know what's going on. I feel like the dude from Ben Stiller from the, or whatever his name is from, Ferris Bueller's day off. Bueller. 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 Some of you sanctimonious are going, I can't believe Pastor Dallas watched Ferris Bueller's day off. Yes, I did a long time ago. <laughs> Isaiah was sown in, sawn in two. His, his, his prophecies are so filled with, with prophecies of the Messiah that the book of Isaiah, theologians call it the fifth gospel. If he was righteous, there's no doubt. He was filled with faith, there's no doubt. Yet he got sown in two with a saw. Paul, the man who raised the dead, the man who healed so many people on his handkerchief healed people, he was beheaded in Rome. Simon Peter, the man who walked on water, the man after he got filled with the Holy Spirit that, listen, walked down the road and was so filled with the glory of God that his shadow healed people. If his shadow touched you, you got healed. Yet he got crucified upside down in Rome. James, the brother of John, another disciple, was killed with a sword. John, the beloved, was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. He was boiled in oil but didn't die. Let me go on. Andrew, Simon Peter's disciple brother, was preaching to the Scythians, which is modern-day Georgia, Russia. 
and the Thracians, which is modern-day Bulgaria, and he was crucified, suspended on an olive tree. I'm going to give you a history here of the disciples. How many of you would say the disciples had faith? So let me see a show of hands if you say the disciples had, a, had, had faith. How many of you believe these men were men of God, integrity, character? They lived the lifestyle. So they didn't probably have no sin in their life. If For that matter, then what about Jesus? He didn't have sin in his life. He got crucified. Listen, my point to tell you is this. Just because you go through a dark valley does not mean it's some hidden sin somewhere or a lack of faith. Sometimes you just go through valleys. Bartholomew was preaching in India and was crucified upside down. James, the son of Alphaeus, was stoned to death in Jerusalem by the Jews. Philip was preaching in Pergia, which is modern-day Turkey, and he was crucified. I mean, let me just go on. Doubting Thomas became a traveling missionary. This was interesting, I found. The doubter of all time, he preached, check this out, to the Parthians, the Medes, the Persians, the Hyrcanians, the Bactrians, and the Margians. I mean, dude was a traveling minister. And he was thrust through in four parts of his body with a spear in Calamine in a city in India. Look, these were men of God that lived right and had full faith to do great works for God. But they suffered a horrible death. Listen to the statement. It's on the overhead. This modern day hyper faith teaching would say these men had sin in their lives or they lacked faith. What do you say? Just because you go through a valley doesn't mean you've done some dark, horrible thing somewhere. David saw it differently as well. He said, those who go through the valley of Baca are weeping. They are blessed. He said, you're blessed when you go through valleys. And who ultimately wrote that? God did. Somebody say God. I'm almost done. This certainly flies in the face of modern, comfort-obsessed cultural religion. But it's certainly a New Testament theology. Here's what Simon Peter said. New Testament. 1 Peter 1, 6-7. So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead. Somebody say yes. Even though you must endure many... So-called faith teachers will tell you, uh, we, don't, we don't preach on that scripture. These trials, these valleys, these dark places where you weep your eyeballs out till you can't weep anymore will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Through your, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials or valleys, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Somebody shout glory. What about Corey Ten Boom? Can you imagine a valley of tears more horrifying than Ravensbrook? Concentration camp in World War II? Would you say it was a sin in her life or a lack of faith that she was in Ravensbrook? How absurd. She was there because of evil men. Yet, because of that valley, none of her books, her preaching, or all the things we've been so blessed by would never have come to fruition without her going through that horrible valley. God is a master at taking your worst valley experiences and taking them and using them to something to bless the world with. Somebody shout amen. Is anybody getting this today? 
Christians, spirit-filled Christians of great faith, hear me, do pass through valleys. And I want to tell you, valleys are not the worst thing that can happen to a Christian. It is not God, but it is Satan, the world, and some of the church that tell us that we're getting what we deserve. I got a huge problem with that. Because if we all get what we deserve, then hell itself cannot contain us all. What about the grace of God? Woo! If we can ever learn to embrace our valley experiences rather than question them or rebel them or get bitter about them, then we will more quickly find the blessing and be better off. They interviewed a man that was an older man, worked in a Boston sweatshop. And they asked him, what was your favorite job? He said, polishing pearls. Pearl buttons, taking pearl buttons and polishing. They said, really, why? They said, he said, they taught us to hold them against the grinding wheel. Catch this now. Turning them every which way until they were perfect. So the man said, well, how would you know they're perfect? Here's what the elderly man said. Are you ready? He said, when the button no longer grumbles against the wheel, no matter how you turn it, it's perfect. (laughs) Perhaps God is allowing us to go through a valley. To get us to quit grumbling against the wheel of life. We need to pass all the way through the valley of tears. And not get stuck grumbling against the wheel. (laughs) I'm preaching to myself. The worst sin in the valley of tears is self-pity. Wallowing in our own sorrows. Nobody cares the troubles I've seen. Nobody cares what I've been through. Man, if you think we got it tough, just read what Jesus went through. Some who go to the valley of tears never pass through. They refuse to let go of the pain that they found there. They clutch it for dear life and they let it define them. Worse than that, they let it end them. Unable to imagine life without their hurt, they clutch it to themselves. And here's the second key and I'll be about one minute and we're going to pray. The second key to victory in the valley of tears. Are you ready? In the deepest part of the valley, dig deep. Dig deep into who God is. Dig deep into His grace. Dig deep into His compassion. Dig deep into getting in His presence. Dig deep into the Word of God. Dig deep, drill deep down into the depths of God and who He is. Why waste a valley experience when you can grow through it? The tendency in pain is to draw away from every touch including God's. David said, remember, the source of blessing. He said, make it a well. Make it a spring of well. Don't waste it. Turn it into something deep that takes you deeper into God. The widows, the parents of the wayward, the deserted, the rejected spouses, the dying, the lonely old man in the nursing home. Dig down deep. Find the grace. Find the place Where God turns graves into gardens. Where God turns bones into armies. Man, am I preaching to anybody. 
I'm not, I'm not going to beg and plead today. I, I just ask you to find a spot right where you're at. Does anybody want to go deeper? Does anybody say, I want to go deeper? Does anybody want to pray and say, God, my soul yearns. My soul longs for the living God. Oh, God, pass me through the valley of tears and weeping. Take me to a depth I've not known. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Oh, I wish some people might, might, if you're physically able, maybe just right where you're at, get on your knees and your elbows on the chair and just cry out to God. I think the musicians and singers are coming. And before we leave, you may not have it now, but before we leave, can we sing graves in the gardens again? Is anybody hungry for the presence of God? Is anybody say, God, take me deeper? Maybe you're here, or maybe you're watching on screen, and you say, I'm in a terrible valley. Go deep, dig deep, deep, deep in the things of God. Whew. Saints, let's pray.